The second reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 15, and can be found on page 1023 of the Church Bibles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. You feel like ripping this out of your Bible? <laughs> I do. And in fact, uh, you know, we're doing through Timothy and you can easily skip this, but can't skip it. And, uh, but it's a really good opportunity because it, it raises the question of, well, how do you read these difficult passages? And there's a couple of words in here, the women and women could be women or wives and husbands could be men or husbands. How do you read it? And you need to read it in context, does it make sense? You need it, but also we're going to look at what's called biblical theology, of how the Bible comes together, how other parts speak to this part, because there's only one author, that's God. And he's not going to contradict himself, he really knows how to do things. And uh, so the Bible's always going to be in agreement and sometimes we need to sort of work it. So it's like a picture of a jigsaw puzzle. We've got a picture here that oh, could go this way, could go that way, could go anyway. But we need to get more pieces to actually see what the picture is. And we're going to do that as we look at the other parts of the Bible. The Bible is really important for us in the church. Because the Bible is, we have it as our value of, uh, of lives shaped by growing knowledge and understanding and application of God's word, the Bible, as our ultimate authority. If you don't have this as your ultimate authority, if you have it as a authority, then other things are authorities too, and you just go for whichever reference book and you're all over the place. You don't make, you just weave decisions between all the authorities you have and it becomes very wishy-washy and some churches have done that and they're all over the place. But we believe that this is something given to us by God and if he can't control what we have, then he's not worth following. We might as well throw him away. Uh, but we believe that over the centuries he's passed down what he wants us to know. And most of all, he's given us Jesus. And Jesus brings it all together. So we're going to look at this because women leading and teaching in church services, that's, that's, that's a problem, isn't it? Uh, it's a problem for many. It's a problem for me. I wish we could change it, but we can't. Um, and, and people said, said, hang on, this is Paul. Paul's a single guy. He's got a thing about women. You know, he's a male chauvinist or whatever. We're going to see that's not true. And in fact, Paul refers back to Genesis. So it's not just Paul's teaching. He takes us right back to creation to make his point and to show us something which is, okay, that's pretty way back and that's pretty much applicable to everyone and not just Paul. And then we're also faced, if you sort of say, hang on, it's still Paul. Did Jesus choose women in his 12 disciples? Why not? Didn't Jesus know what's going on? Did Jesus get it wrong? 
So there's a bit there too. Let's have a look at it. Let's unpack it. But let's unpack it with minds that are teachable. Let's not come to this as, okay, I wanted to say this because this is what I want. Let's not do that. That's the danger of reading the Bible, trying to put on your glasses where you're going to not see this and not see that and, and sift through so it says what you want it to say. And people can make that mistake. We're not going to do that. We're going to sort of try and use good biblical exegesis, good biblical understanding of what does it say in the passage, how do we apply it today. So it's a great passage to do that, but we're going to have to go other places. Now, if you're taking notes, don't worry. A copy of this is up the back. Every word I say is up the back. So you can go and take it and read it and uh, sift through it. I'm really happy to talk to you about it. Condition is not after service today because I don't want you to react. I want you to go away and read what I've said, not think you know what I've said, but go and read what I've said. Come back and talk to me about it. If you can show me from the Bible I changed my perspective, I will welcome you. If you try and show me from anywhere outside the Bible, go away. I'm not going to talk to you. So if you can show me in the Bible, change my perspective, please come and talk to me. I've been doing this for about 30 years and I haven't been able to find the other way around it. So let's work it. But also, as we look at women today, it's saying something to guys too. Uh, guys have got to get their act together and do things the way God's created. And the passage next week is, is not chapter 3, is all about overseers and deacons, and I'll also introduce deaconesses. But it's really telling, if you're a leader in a church, you've got to have a certain character. And it's not just saying to leaders, it's saying this is the model for everyone in the church to have. So next week it's really going to hit guys very solidly. So don't think it's just bashing women this week. It's guys next week, bang, okay? But as we look at this, let's see what God says. And why does he say it? There's a reason behind this. Why does he say this? Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 2. The original words for women and men here are interchangeable. They're a Greek word, uh, which can mean men, can mean husbands, and wives can mean women. Uh, they both can be interchangeable. Um, so which one applies? Because people have rightly said to me um, in verse 8, which is, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger and disputing. Well, I don't think he just wants husbands to do that, but maybe he does. Only husbands lift up holy hands. And let's, how are we going to be legalistic with this? Let's be legalistic. Who didn't lift up hands praying today, men? I didn't see anyone. You're all in trouble. The Bible says you've done the wrong thing. That's a legalistic view of the Bible. We don't do that. God's gracious. We don't have a law that's there to beat us down in submission. We have a law that reveals our sin and calls us to, or humbles us to wait on God and seek God. And so we want to have that um, same response as we look at these passages. What is it teaching us? And it's teaching, it's actually saying that men need to lead in prayer. Men need to be out there praying. It's important to pray. Not how you pray with hands up, but it's important you're praying. And without anger and disputing. So you're not praying um, uh, in some way of creating trouble in the church, but you're, you're in a, and you've got self-control in your prayers. And we'll look at more of that later. Then it comes to verse 9. I want women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, with braided hair, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, Again, it's not a prohibition on, you know, hang on, if anyone's got gold on, they're in trouble today. Anyone got braided hair, you're out of the church. That's not like that at all. It's just, and I'm, I'm sure, do you really think that he's saying, I only want wives to be like that? Is if we just change that women, which can be women or wives, is he only talking about wives or is he talking about women in general? Uh, but with good deeds appropriate to women who profess to worship God. 
Look at verse 11 and 12. A woman should learn in quietness and submission. This is where it comes here. People are saying, hang on, that's wives. That's not women, that's just wives. Let's go with that for a minute. Let's say, a wife should learn in submission and quietness. I do not permit a wife to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. But it's saying that, okay, if you're not married, you're a single woman, you can do it. But when you get married, you can't. Or if you're married and your wife and you want to teach, then your husband can't be there. So you've got to bar him from church that day. So he can't be there. So he can't have authority over him to teach. Gee, that's starting to twist it because the Bible nowhere says about barring people from church unless they're heretics. So it starts to become difficult to read that word woman as wife. And it continues like that. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I don't want them to teach. Um, it means that if you're single, you can do all sorts of things. No, that's not saying. And look what he says then. He goes on to say why, it's all, why he has this view. And this is what gets me. This is where I have the problem um, of, with uh, trying to change this to what I might want to say. For Adam was formed first then Eve. He goes right back to Genesis. He's not saying this is a problem for the Ephesus church. They've got a problem with women. I'm actually saying this because of the problem in this church. He's not saying that. He's saying I'm going right back to the beginning as to why I'm saying this. That's very significant. And we'll come to the beginning in a minute. Uh, he says not just the creation, but he also says, um, verse 14, and Adam was not one deceived, it was a woman who was deceived and became a sinner. He talks about uh, the fall and uh, that the woman was, uh, woman was priority in the fall. She ate the fruit first. We'll look at that in a minute. And Paul sees in creation, in Genesis, that God has assigned man an ultimate responsibility for the family. And the church is the household of God. It's the family of God. So what happens in the, in the family is the same that happens in the church. That's the, the point he's making here. So we can try and change women to be wives, but it doesn't read very well. But that's not where we leave it. Let's go back to Genesis and have a look there. So Genesis chapter 2, in verse 18, uh, they say, It's not good for a man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. And so woman's made, and uh, then there's a disobedience. They're told to eat any fruit in the Garden of Eden, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And to eat that tree would mean you become like God. You can make decisions like God. You could be equal with God. And look at chapter 3, verse 8. Once they've um, been tempted to eat the fruit, or uh, the devil tempted Eve to eat, and she gave some to Adam. And chapter 3, verse 8. They've eaten the fruit. Look what happens when they've eaten this fruit and disobeyed God. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. He said, Who told you you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? He's called out. But why did God not call for the woman? She was the one who ate the fruit first. Why didn't he do that? Or why didn't he call to both of them? Because they're both hiding. Why did he call to the man? You see, there's a, God's created a priority in the relationships that can be seen there. 
And look what happens when it goes on. They, they're in trouble with God and um, they both get in trouble. But look at the, the woman uh, in verse 16. To the woman, God says, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing. With pain you'll give birth to children. That's very true, isn't it? Um, your desire, this is the tricky one, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Oh, it's a bit uh, contentious, but the idea of desire is that the craving for independence, uh, that breaking out of that relationship uh, to dominate the man uh, contrasted with the man uh, being an authority. And rule, guys, this is where we get it wrong. Um, rule is that harsh exploitation of someone uh, love and cherish in the marriage has now become a desire to dominate and uh, so man's now going to abuse his God-given authority in relation to his wife by trying to control her and so what's happened is there's been a partnership and there's been complementing each other and going along smoothly and now sin's entered and now they're going boom, 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 boom it's not working now there's a competition rather than compliment, because sin has entered human beings. Man and woman, it's polluted everyone. And that's where we're coming now into the New Testament again. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, there's a passage there that causes problem that says, The head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is Lord. Now that's a problem because uh, the head has been sort of seen as authority. In recent years people have said, no, no, it's source. It's like the source of a river. Um, it's origin and uh, it becomes origin rather than authority. And passages that speak of leadership are seen only to be repeating Genesis chapter 2, which a woman was made from the man's rib. So that fits with the idea of source, doesn't it? And so, hey, come, maybe that's right. But these passages... Um, uh, don't actually fit with the order of the relationships here because the head of every woman is man. So, okay, woman's made from man, source fits all right. But the head of every man is Christ. Hang on a minute. Did man come from Christ? Is the source of man Christ? Doesn't it tell us in Genesis that we're made from dust? So how are we made from Christ? That doesn't ring true. And the big problem is the head of Christ is God. If Christ is sourced from God, you've now got big heresy. You've got Arianism. You've got what the Jehovah Witnesses believe. Jesus was the first created being. He wasn't eternal. You've now crossed over to bang. You've got heresy. cannot be. It cannot be head as source. Head has to be um, authority. Like it or not, that's how it's got to be. So it's saying in that passage that there's an authority structure in the relationships, the, the Christ, the man and the woman. And it's interesting too that you have that idea of submitting to each other if you go to Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5 where it talks about men and women and in marriage relationships. And this is the church that Timothy's in. The church that Paul's writing, or writing to Timothy, but then writes in the Ephesians to that church himself. The idea in chapter 5, verse 21, starts off with, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why say that? Shouldn't that just happen? No, because of the fall, because now competing rather than complimenting, there's a problem with submitting. Everyone has it. There's a problem, it's called sin. And the difference is, out of reverence for Christ, when Christ comes into your life, you humble yourself, you're convicted of sin, you want to change. 
And where you're going bang, bang, bang against other people, suddenly now you want to fit in and complement with other people because of Christ. You want to work out how you fit together. You humble yourself. You try to put aside your differences and work on your common strengths and work together. And what follows are not mutually submitting relationships. Uh, Because some have tried to sort of say um, that uh, it doesn't apply to wives and husbands uh, because it cannot mean they mutually... It means means they mutually submit. Uh, This doesn't... Submitting doesn't apply to wives and husbands. Well, you've got a problem. Because then it goes on to talk about parents and children submitting. Um, Mutually submitting. Um, do you really think it's saying that? Do you really think that children can tell parents what to do and be on the same level to discuss things as their parents? A three-year-old can tell a parent what's going on, what to do. I mean, no, no, teenagers want to do it. But do you really think a three-year-old can tell a parent what to do? Come on. And then it goes on to talk about masters and slaves. It's a bit like employer and employees. If it's mutually submitting, it means the employee can tell the employer what to do. Do you really think that's going to work? So they can't be mutually submitting relationships with husband and wife and parent and children and employer and employee or master and slave. It can't mean that. It's got to mean something different. It's got to mean submitting to the other. And the problem here is, look at verse 24. Verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as the Lord, not mutually submitting, but submitting, submitting. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is saviour. We all know that head doesn't mean source, head means authority. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to husbands in... I don't think some people like this last word in that verse. What does it say? Some things, everything not a good word is it but it's there and so it's creating this idea in all aspects of life uh, this idea of submitting but it's not a submission as in you do as I tell you you're you're nothing I'm going to boss you around it's a submission as in complement each other working together rather than coming head to head and that's confirmed in verse 25 husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice, sacrificial love, saw our need and gave his life for us. If a husband's doing that, what wife would have a problem in working with that husband? If that wife, if the husband is really doing his job, he understands what's going on in the wife, what she needs, what needs to work for her, and he's doing it. And that's an easy way to compliment with someone, to work with someone. But if he's not doing that, if he's demanding what he wants and not listening to her, you know, it's going to create that competition again. And it's the husband that can bring that on. So both need to work together. In fact, if we do that, men, we're not submitting to Christ because Christ says we can't do that way. We've got to follow his example of laying our life down for the church. We've got to lay our life down for our wives in that sort of love. And we're called to be like that. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is why you need that bit of paper. I'm jumping all over the place, I know. Please look at the notes later. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11. And verse 5 says about uh, Laos, uh, and every woman who prays a prophecy with a head uncovered dishonors the head just as if the head has been shaved. Don't worry about the head covering right now. But it's saying there women can pray and prophesy in church meetings. So it's not saying, even though it says the other one, women be silent, it's talking about silent as in teaching, but here it's saying in, in, in worship services, uh, women can pray and prophesy. And um, the prophecy, sometimes people have said, okay, prophecy is the same as preaching and teaching. Uh, because in the Old Testament, uh, when people prophesied, it was teaching about God. It was revealing what God wanted to do. It was stop whatever you're doing and listen because this is God speaking. But in the New Testament, prophecy is different. It's different because it has a different authority. Uh, in the Old Testament, if you disobey the prophet, you're disobeying God. It's equal with that. It had serious consequences. In the New Testament, if you're a false prophet, and you say something that is not right, um, they weigh it up and, and, and work out whether it's true or not. Uh, but in the Old Testament, you said, if you're a false prophet, you got stoned. In the New Testament, you don't get stoned. You get told it's wrong and you live another day. So prophecies change. Prophecies different value from the old and new. And that's because of the coming of Jesus. In the coming of Jesus, things changed. Everything changed. Our revelation of God changed enormously with the coming of God made man, Jesus. And so prophecy now has a different role, different value, so to speak. It's not that same Old Testament. It's obviously clearly um, public and verbal, the prophecy in the New Testament. And it's there to uh, generally point to the truth of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 14, 28. But it's under the control of the speaker, uh, 1430, it's not some ecstatic thing, you just can't hold it back, you can control it. So the prophecy is not the teaching that we see in the Old Testament, it's different. Um, and women are to pray and to prophesy, but that's not that teaching role uh, that we're looking at today. Okay, we've looked at a few passages. We looked at Paul. We're particularly looking, jumping back to Genesis to see what God says. We've also recognised that Jesus didn't um, put women as disciples, as his 12 disciples. But that's not the end of it because Paul really appreciated women. And so let's look at what he did. Paul actually encouraged women without any further limitation. If it didn't affect that sort of uh, leadership role and, and uh, public teaching role, he encouraged them. There's 19 passages in Paul's writing that refer to women. He mentions a total of 17 women. And women are important to Paul. And not just as, you know, you do wait on tables, you bring me tea and coffee sort of person. Like, example, Priscilla in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19. Uh, She and her husband had a house church and instructed others. And... uh, it was um, she was regarded by Paul as a the fellow. They were fellow workers in Christ who risked their lives for Paul, and Paul highly valued both of them as a team, as a ministry team. A more exceptional one is Phoebe in Romans chapter sixteen, verses one and two. Phoebe's a deaconess. Uh, Phoebe is someone who's in the church at uh, Chinchura and she's a great help to many people and she's in a deaconess role. We'll look at deaconesses and deacons next week. Then we have in Romans chapter 16 verse 7, Junior, Junior is an apostle. 
little A apostle. Big A apostle are the ones that Jesus personally commissioned, like the 11 disciples plus Paul, big A apostles. But the little A apostles are the ones with the gift of apostleship. Uh, we've got one in our church, or from our church, Kirsten Hawkshaw. Someone, a missionary who's sent out to another country uh, to do a work of God is a little A apostle. That's a vital role, a sent one. That's what it means, a sent one, sent to do the work of God. And Junia was that sort of person. She was notorious or outstanding amongst the apostles. She was well known among all the apostles as an apostle. So she was someone who really did the great work of God. Paul valued women. And he valued women integrated into the churches, doing vital ministry and life in the early church community. And the Bible teaches clearly that men and women are equal. I mean, you have Jesus who's equal with God, but voluntarily submits himself to the Father. He's equal, but submits. It's the same with men and women. We're equal, but there needs to be a voluntary submission in that whole process because ministry roles are different. So how does this apply to teaching? What do we do? Um, So let me just digress. This is applying to adults. Um, when you get to youth and children, it doesn't apply. So we're trying to adults tonight, today. Um, talk to me later if you want about that. Uh, how do we apply this teaching? We apply graciously. Uh, we don't want to be legalistic. We don't want to become so like some churches and some groups get so legalistic. They say, unless women come with hats on, you can't come in. We're going to have a whole stack of hats next week. We're going to go to Vinnie's. Hats there. You wear hats. We're going to check your jewellery, any gold, any pearls, you're out. Yeah, you need to dress uh, plainly. Actually, we might even get all robes, you know, we might just get plain robes for you to put on. And, and uh, you know, guys, unless you all lift up your hands, you're out. We'll kick you out. The wardens will kick you out. We don't want to. That's crazy. That's stupid. In the end, the focus is on all these little trivial things and not on your heart and your relationship to God. And that's what we want to focus on. And so we don't want to be legalistic in this point. And, and the God doesn't want us to be legalistic. I mean, we're saved by grace. The unmerited favour of God, the laws there show us we sin. The laws show us that we fail to obey God. But this is talking more about a procedural sort of law. And this is not the sort of thing that you don't go to heaven if you don't do right. It's not a salvation issue. There's, like, there's plenty of places you go to where I, I go to churches where women leading, women, women teaching, women preaching. No problem. That's how they want to do it. That's okay. And I'm not saying, hang on, they're all going to hell because they're doing that. That's not true. There's no way in here, in anywhere in here, it says if you don't do this, you're not right with God. But it's just the way God wants things to go. And we want to be people who please God. So we're actually going, okay, God, we want to please you. We want to do it your way. Um, Help us to understand it. Help us to apply it in a generous and gracious way. It doesn't come down hard on people that tries to work it. And we make exceptions because when Kirsten Hawkshaw comes back, I don't want to say to Kirsten, oh, you can't teach or preach, Kirsten. So you can't mention the Bible, you can't mention Jesus Christ, you can't mention God, you can't mention anything Christian. You can tell us all about the social stuff over there, about the culture, but don't mention anything that might be teaching or preaching. How ridiculous would that be? So, okay, Kirsten, come and tell us about your work and bring the Bible and tell about Christianity and we just make that allowance. And if you think it's wrong, then join the queue that I've already talked about. I've said, no, we're going to do that. We're going to do it. And we're not going to be legalistic. 
If we have to be so legalistic that we've got to say no to this and no to that, I think we're moving away from Christ and we're focusing on what we want. This is, God wants to create a harmony here, a harmony where we can work together and get rid of this competition that came at the fall and complement each other. And I think focusing on the rules and being strict brings that competition back together, makes us headbutting rather than working together. I don't want to do that. I'm sure you don't. Look, I think a, a key to this passage that I've gone past, I want to come back to now. Back to 2 Timothy, chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. I did mention it a bit, but I want to now finish with it. It says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger and disputing. He's going to then go on and talk about women and relationships. I think this is a key. I think we need to be, and I don't think he's just saying men, I think he's saying everyone, we should be praying. We should be people of prayer. We should be, and particularly men who are charged with this working out the relationship with women and women working out the relationship with men, I think we need to be people who pray about it. Ask God to help us. Ask God to help us with that sinful nature that wants to compete, that sinful nature that wants to rule and dominate the other person. Both male and female are doing that. And give us that harmony that we lost in the Garden of Eden. Give us that harmony that we should have in Jesus Christ. goes on to say, holy, lift up holy hands in prayer without anger, without disputing, with self-control, with the whole fruit of the Spirit living inside of us coming out because anger and disputing is part of that old nature that a new nature is done away with. I think behind all this is that. So let's be a people who continue to pray about how we work together, how we, how we have that structure of men who have to take some responsibility and step up to the plate. And we'll read more about that in chapter 3. And women, how are they going to then fall in with men and work with them? But how are we going to have a complementary relationship, not ones that dominate and control and hinder and reduce? That's a challenge we all, all face. I think that requires lots of prayer, lots of humbling ourselves before God, lots of being open to the Spirit bringing out that new life in us. Let me pray. God, you know where to poke us where we need a poke. You know where to provoke us to action where we need to be provoked. You understand that we can have trouble with this passage because of the fall, because there has been a breakdown of male and female relationships. You know that uh, in Jesus Christ you've transformed us and reconciled us to Christ, reconciled us to each other, but particularly reconciling men and women in these broken relationships. And Lord, help us to see that. Help us to put away any pride or any barriers that we might have Help us to uh, understand uh, how we can go forward together and be humble enough to do that and really be generous and loving as you are to us with each other. And we pray in your name. Amen.